there's always going to be people saying you can't do it for whatever reason. You're not smart enough, strong enough, fast enough, rich enough, whatever. If you're confident and you think it works and it worked, go for it. Welcome to Starve It Out. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Joining me today, our good friend, Gavin Welch from thereloop.com. Hey, Gavin. Hey, Jared. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. We're out just having some fun here in Central Florida. And we're probably about, what, 35 minutes from where you hang your hat? Is that We is that are. We're, clo- we're close to home. We're close to home. So you, close you home. have a, a little bit of an understanding about Central Florida because you're involved in real estate. So let's talk about wh- how did you end up in Central Florida and what are you doing in Florida? What's well, going on? I'm a very rare breed because I'm from here. You are from your mountain. I'm, now, my wife is originally from South Florida. I'm so. from Ocala and my wife's from Orlando. Okay. So this has kind of always been home. We've been, you know, we've been overseas and stuff, but this has always been home. So just haven't gone very far. Now, now what is it about Lakeland? Because Ocala's great. Orlando's great. Hey, let's go to Lakeland. Well, we were in Orlando and Orlando is a nice place, but there's a lot of traffic. So, True. you know, across town's an hour to hour and a half and rush hour. And Tampa's nice too. We've worked in Tampa and done a lot of stuff, spent a lot of time over there. Again, you're in traffic. So Lakeland was kind of halfway between Tampa and Orlando. And I was doing a lot of driving and I was like, I kind of want a small town where somebody's not going to run off my kids. So we, yes. ended up, <laughs> we ended up in Lakeland. So, yeah. <laughs> so in Lakeland, they're less likely. Yeah, they're less likely you something wrong with your kids. Just not, <laughs> you know, less traffic, less hassle. It's nice, you know, small town kind of feel. And still, if you want to go over to Tampa or Orlando, we're, we're close by. Fair enough. So at one point, you were not living in Florida. You were actually overseas, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. in Guatemala. Honduras. So, oh, I apologize. Honduras. <laughs> Now, where did I get Guatemala? It's it's all the same. It's next it's door. It's not the same. Honduras, <laughs> I am so wrong. Uh, so you spent some time in Honduras. We did. Now, that's interesting. Tell us about that. Well, I had a lucrative career at Enron that I uh, thankfully abruptly left before it all folded. Interesting. And we um, we started a nonprofit, went to uh, Honduras and spent some time down there. We had the nonprofit. We were working down there and coming and going. But uh, we just kind of went to a point and said, hey, let's, we're young. Let's do something interesting and packed up and moved to Honduras. How long had you been married when you did that? Oh, probably six years. Wow. Seven years. Yeah. Was that a tough call? Or? I do not recommend selling everything you own, moving to a foreign country that you do not speak the language three days before Christmas. I do not, what? without a plan. I do not recommend it. You didn't have a plan. We just, yeah, the plan was to show up at the airport and see what happens. That wow. was not a good plan in retrospect. But it worked out great. We had a good time. You know, I'm, it's one of the best things we ever did, hands down. It's just you better be you get used to change. Now that could either cause a tremendous strain on your marriage, or it could really bring you together. Or and it did both. both. It okay. did. Uh, so <laughs> would you be willing to tell a story? Well, I mean, yeah, the it, first three days, my wife was crying, still repeating the phrase, "What have you done to me?" <laughs> but after you know, after we kind of settled into the culture and learned the language a bit, and kind of immersed ourselves in. Not being like, well, you know, this is not how they do it in the States. Being fully immersed in the culture and learning the language. We had a great time and had some great relationships that we have to this day. And still just love the culture and love the people and had an amazing time. Was there a moment when you kind of felt like, yikes, have I, have I bit off more than I could chew here? Should I be Kind of every home? day. Every day. Because like, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, did you go to Bible school? No. Did you do that? No. Do you speak the language? Not really. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, listen, we'll, we'll get to it when we, we'll get to that bridge when we cross it, figure it out. But, you know, it was all by the seat of my pants and just kind of figuring out things as you go along. And, you know, especially in third world cultures and in, in the Spanish culture, everything they have is about time and relationship. 
Interesting. So even though you don't speak the language, if you make an effort to like really connect with people, they will bend over backwards for you and they'll actually look out for you. And, you know, that's kind of what we had happen. And we, you know, we had family, even though they weren't our family, they were our family and they welcomed us like their family. And we spent every Sunday afternoon with them for five hours and, you know, went to funerals and weddings and stuff for people that we barely spoke the language, but yet they were our family. And, and, you know, they just welcomed us. How long did you live there? Three and a half years. Wow. Three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would imagine in retrospect, there were some valuable lessons that you learned while you were there. And I consider you to be a savvy business person. So what are some things you learned in Honduras that would apply to someone who's interested in, in being a good business person? Well, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, I had some people that, you know, we did some friends down there. I'm like, listen, just because somebody doesn't speak English, don't think they're not smart. Or just because they have a third grade education, don't think they're not smart. You know, you've got to be, there's always a way. You've just got to find out how to get there. You know what I'm saying? And a little initiative goes a long way. But initiative, you can't teach. Either you have it or you don't. So what's an example of how you had to show initiative? Well, like we had to start a business down there to support this program we were starting and trying to do some stuff. And my friend's like, well, I got these block making machines. These machines, you put concrete to make blocks. Do you know how to make blocks? I'm like, no, I don't. But we just find a guy. So we literally found a guy and started making blocks. We were taking gang members off the streets and we were like, hey, we have to support ourselves. We can't feed these guys. And we've got way out in the middle of the woods and we're trying to get out of gangs and teach them how to be successful adults and everything else. So we were teaching them how to make blocks, but we had to learn how to make blocks ourselves. And then we had to teach these kids how to sell these blocks, which, you know, when these guys have tattoos all over them, a lot of people don't want to deal with them. And, you know, you know, we just had to figure out how to how to make that work and make it, you know, a business that's viable, especially in a country where we don't really understand language very well or taxes or any of that stuff to make it work. And we're dealing with, with kids who would have no experience in that type of stuff. So we're like, okay, we'll just try it. We'll start making them. We'll put them out by the road. See if we sell them. We start selling them. Great. There's a need there. Wow. So did it work? It sounds like it did. Yeah, it worked really well. Wow. It worked really well. So, but that wouldn't have been your first idea. It just came to you because someone said, Hey, I've got this. I've got these machines. I was like, great. Well, let's put the machines to work. No, it's, you know, it's, if you've got something, figure out how to use it and make it work. Cause uh, you know, down there, there's, you don't have the resources you have here both financially and otherwise. So you've got to kind of take what you've got and run with it. And that was its initiative. Well, we've got these machines. Well, great. How can we use them? Well, great. What can we do to make these machines produce money for us? What was that tipping point from this being a learning curve to now, okay, we're seeing results. We're seeing, you know, business here. Well, you know, I don't really know. There wasn't a defining moment. You know, I, I just know that, you know, we've had businesses over the years, you know, nonprofits and stuff. And that, you never make a lot of money working for somebody else. Right. You know, that's just the truth. You, if, you're, if you're going to be an employee all your life, you may retire well and you may make some money, but true wealth is only owned, is only achieved by owning your own business. And whether it's washing cars, washing windows, you know, whatever the business is, you can make it a very lucrative business, but you've got to put the time, the effort and the energy in to get there. You just can't go say I'm a window washer and well, I don't have any business. Well, you've got to get yourself out there as a window washer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sell it. So yeah, you got to sell it. So the takeaway there is you, whatever business it is, you can be very good at, but you got to be able to sell it and that's it. You know, and it really irritates me because I hear people, we can't find a job. We can't do this. We can't do that. We live in the most fortunate nation in the world. People risk their lives every day to live in this country illegally, to be hiding from the law in fear 
to send money back to their family in, in foreign countries. And yet a lot of people here are like, oh, I don't want to work. Oh, I can't find a job. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Nobody in our country starves to death. If you do, it's your own fault. You know, and I think people forget that, that we are the rich, even the poorest people in our country are some of the richest people in the world. Wow. It's definitely uh, something to consider. Okay. So you had this business that was working. When you look back on, on your time in Honduras, what are some things you're really proud of? You know, I, I'm just really proud of the relationships we had. You know, we were taking, we were doing some pretty risky stuff, taking gang members off the streets, basically kidnapping them. They can never go home because if they're seen in their neighborhood, they'll be killed. And teaching them how to become successful adults. This is how you work. This is how you save money. This is how you start a family. This is how you, you maintain your family. This is how you keep stuff in order. You know, because a lot of the 95% of the guys we dealt with didn't have fathers. And they don't know what it looks like to be a father because they've never had a father. So we've got to teach them how to be protective members of society, how to work, how to balance their work life, their home life, and everything else together to be basically successful you know, members of society. And some of the takeaways of that is, you know, we're, we're most proud of, you know, we built buildings, we built houses, we did all that. That's great. But the biggest takeaway is just the families. You know, one of the families that we started supporting 20 years ago, before we even lived down here, there was eight kids living in this little eight by eight, eight kids and a family living in this little eight by eight block house. I said to those kids, I'll give you as much school as you want for free, much as you want. The oldest one graduates med school next year. Wow. Yeah. One doctor, three teachers, the other is going to be an architect, a two and a couple are in high school. But those kids have really taken, look, here's the opportunity. All you got to do is seize it. I'll pay for all the school you want. No questions asked if you get there. And they've taken the opportunity and run. And the, the family started a business in their house, selling like a little Jiffy store deal. And it's what we've done is we've changed the trajectory of the entire family. Tremendous. Okay. So at some point you realized, hey, uh, we're going to go back to the States and I'm curious about that transition because going in, uh, going into a new country, it was nerve wracking. It was scary. There yeah. were so many what ifs. And now you're leaving something where you had these, this fruit, if you will. And what was that change coming back to the United States like? Okay. Go, you- going stunk. I mean, four days before Christmas, selling everything you own and just moving to a foreign country say, hey, we're here. However, coming back was 12 times harder. And if I had realized how hard it was to come back, I would not have come back. Interesting. What? Because we basically were Hondurans. We thought in Spanish. We immersed ourselves with Hondurans. We were doing all this, you know what I'm saying? It was, we were part of the culture. And then all of a sudden we're like, hey, we're going back to the US. Well, we get back here and everything's fast. There's interstates, there's this, we got to make this, we got to do that, we got to do that. There's all this stuff on time constraints. I'm like, wait a minute. The transition coming back was extremely difficult. And we got back, remember that tsunami hit yes. in Phuket? Yep. We got back and like, Four or five days later, that tsunami hit Phuket, Thailand or Indonesia. Yep. And we almost left. We were still, we were down to two backpacks and two boxes. And we were like, listen, we can go. But the transition coming back was really difficult because you're like, basically you're like a person without a culture mm-hmm. or without a home country. Yes, my passport says I'm an American, but I haven't spoke English full time for three years. I don't think like American. I think like Honduras because that's who I've been around for the last three years. Right. You know, so it was really like a culture conflict of our mentality and our way of thinking, even though we were back in this country. And it, it was rough. The transition was, was absolutely terrible. I don't know what better way to put that. It was a very difficult time. How long ago was that? That's been, uh, what, eight, 10 years now? Eight years? Yeah. I, I see why people like, you know, moving back from overseas have trouble and don't a lot of times stay a lot. But you did stay. We so, did stay. And mm-hmm. now 
you're, you know, doing some amazing things with real estate and stuff. Let's yeah. Just talk about, okay, you, you went through this season of, of readapting, I yeah, guess, we uh, did. culture shock coming yeah. back. Mm-hmm. And then you had to determine, okay, what's next? Uh, what was next? We did. I got a job doing engineering work and we did that for a while and um, kind of got re- kind of reestablished ourselves. Did that. We started a business on the side. So I was working full time, plus I had the side gig. The side gig overseeded the full time gig, full time job. And from there, it kind of launched into real estate, was doing real estate on the side, and real estate kind of superseded both of those. And then kind of, you know, just kind of go with the flow, kind of the plant seed type deals. We were always kind of going, doing four things at one time. And when something took off, we would follow that, kind of follow that flow. And so, Let's fast forward to where we are today. What's mm-hmm. going on now? Well, today we are, um, you know, I'm in real estate full time, an investor, I'm an agent. I help people buy and sell houses and I help people invest. And, you know, we're rental properties and we're rehabbing and I'm flying drones for photography. And, you know, we've got our hand in a lot of, a lot of pots. So, That's cool. Mm-hmm. And you're also a pilot. I'm also a pilot. Yep. How long have you been a pilot? I don't know, eight years or so. <laughs> years. So you started that right when you got back, huh? We started that right after, yeah, about a year year after we got back, yeah. My, my Both my parents are pilots, so I had a lot of flight training when I was a kid and kind of dropped it, and then I love it. It's between, you know, I also like motorcycles, but since I have small children, my wife's like, hey, listen, you want to kill yourself? That's fine, do it later. Let, let your kids get grown up a little bit. So at one point, you know, I was fooling around with model airplanes whenever she's like, stop screwing around with these model airplanes and go fly the real ones you know, be a man, find the real ones. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. I'm like, I can do that. And she's like, yeah, I could hear your wife saying that. Yeah. I won't tell you the exact phrase she used, but she's like, you know, nut up and fly the real ones. Fair and enough. she's like, that's what you want to do. Right. I'm like, yeah. So I basically took like a month off. That's all I did was fly airplanes for a month. Wow. Yeah. So, so and you just do that on occasion or I just do it on occasion. Now I haven't done, I haven't done it in a while just because I've been so busy and haven't had a lot of time, but I, I do love flying. It's, is it's that really- relaxing for you? It is in a way, it depends on what the plan is. If we're going like long distance and, you know, going to go to the Bahamas or going to go up to Georgia or going to do this, that's not relaxing because there's like some planning involved. If we want to just go circle the patch, fly around go get dinner in Tampa, fly back, whatever, that's relaxing. You know, yeah, you know, it just kind of depends on what the purpose is. Once we were talking about you and, and flying, and you'd made a comment about how you could just easily fly down to Fort Lauderdale from Lakeland, uh-huh. and then now and then I started asking you questions. Well, you having to rent a car, and you're like, no, they have they have cars they have there. Car. I've been to Key West for lunch a bunch of times. That is, I can't even fathom that. What's that like? I, I don't know. It's it's like draw take a map, draw a circle on a map. You know, three hundred and four hundred fifty miles, and just go. You know, where in this map do I want to go? And you know, when you know you have an airplane, that's basically what it is. Where you know. My friends go over the Bahamas. It's an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah. It's straight, you know, straight over and you're there. So, you know, it, it kind of changes your horizon or your, your spatial reality. What's my reality? You know, my, my friend goes, Hey, my daughter's in Clemson. He has a plane. He's like, come on, go with me. You know, we can go from Lakeland to Clemson, South Carolina, an hour and 20 minutes. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're moving, you're going fast, but it's, you know, an hour later you're in Clemson, you know, or you're in Atlanta, Georgia, or, you know. Hey, let's run over to New Orleans. Hey, okay, no problem. But you said a, a further trip like that, you, you have to do some It takes, it so takes, what, what it takes a bit of plan. Well, it just depends on like weather conditions. I mean, we, I put my, I guess he was like two, two year old in the back of a plane. We flew eight and a half hours through not good weather. And it was, it was relatively stressful because we're flying instrument where you can't see the ground. Or you're flying over mountains, through mountains. You can't see them. 
it's stressful and it's you're, you're concentrating for eight hours at a time. You're landing on runways that you can't see. You're like, I think the runway's here and all of a sudden you pop out of a cloud and bam, there's a runway. Oh, wow. And my, yeah, my wife was not too keen on that. But, you know, stuff like that gets a little stressful. But, you know, if it's a clear day and there's no clouds, it's like cruise control. You just set the plane, let it do its deal and sit back and watch everything, make sure nothing goes wrong. Man, that's great. Yeah. So you could, if you had a couple of days, you could just say, hey, where do we want to go? Let's that's, just. Yeah. I mean, we, both my parents are pilots. We used to go over, over the Bahamas on Sunday swimming. We'd go take off in the morning, go to the Bahamas, swim around, spend the day, picnic on the beach, whatever. You know, six o'clock, load back up and boop, back wow. home by 730. Wow. What's the farthest you'd feel comfortable flying? There's no, I can, you know, the plane will do it. I'll go anywhere, anywhere. You know, yeah. it's not, it, the only thing that, that, that I don't like is weather conditions, adverse weather conditions. But if you're not in a hurry, you can wait. Let the storm go over. All right, let's go. So would you fly to Hawaii, for example? Well, if you can make the, the jump across the ocean, sure. I don't like flying over water at night just because the John, you know, John, remember John Kennedy Jr.? Uh, flying over water at night is very dangerous because if you get confused, you, you will die. You'll inadvertently fly straight into the water. Really? Yeah, you get confused. And uh, but what, what, what causes that? Disorientation, because your your body's telling you one thing and your instruments are telling you another thing. And most of the time, if you trust your body, you will die. Wow. So that's one thing about the instrument training, the instrument flight training, is to teach you to trust your instruments. And you know, and it's it's nerve wracking. It's difficult because <laughs> your body's screaming no, 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 and you've got to trust what you're reading. Yeah. So that's why you never fly over the water. That, well, I don't mind flying over water. I just don't, I don't, if I can avoid it, I don't like to do it at night. Yeah. So, cause you can't tell up from down. You yeah. literally cannot tell uh, it's everything's dark. You can't tell up from down. So you've got no horizon to see and you just got to trust that you're, what your airplane's telling you is true. Man. Uh, have you ever had any close calls or I, I have, I've had uh, engine failure and actually I had an instructor with me, brand new airplane made it within about 150 feet of the ground and the engine restarted. Almost hit a cow. So you were on your way down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're, flying, we're, we're <laughs> right. flying. We were flying along, random airplane, whatever. Everything's cool. I look over the, the, the guy's reading the newspaper, blah, blah, blah. Cruising along, no problem. All of a sudden, the engine stopped. And I thought he was messing with me. Do he, you know why? Well, yeah, I know why. He thought I was messing with him. I thought he was messing with me. So I looked at him and go, what'd you touch? And he looks from behind the comics. He's like, I didn't touch anything. And we said, uh, have you ever seen The Grinch with Jim Carrey? Uh, when he's going down the mountain in the sleigh, like, ah! When he said that, I was like, oh, crap, we're in real trouble. So thankfully, we're over like, you know, cow pasture land. So, you know, they've got this whole system, you know, best glide, airspeed, whatever. But the whole checklist is like, we're going in. It's not like, hey, troubleshoot your fuel system. Hey, troubleshoot this. Hey, try to restart it. So luckily, we were high enough that I was like, wait a minute. So let me go through the checklist. I got my glide speed. We're gliding. Everything's cool. I've got a place to land. It's a big cow pasture. So worst it's case, not, you wouldn't have so crashed. You would have been we, no, we would have, we would have. It would have been a forced landing, which is a, I don't know, call it what you will. Would have been the best landing of all scenarios in a cow pasture. So the airplane I was flying had a, a fully automated engine control system, throttle, mixture, all this stuff is controlled by its computer, by Microsoft. And, you know, it's flashing. The engine quit. So it has this little SIM card. So, you know, I tried it. It didn't start. The engine didn't start. So, I mean, you know, I'm. The airplane had like gold wing doors that pop up. Yeah. So we pop them open and we're gliding and, uh, you know, I got a couple of minutes. So I'm like, screw it. So I pull this card out, hit this red button, you know, I'm playing with all the buttons. And thankfully, you know, about 200 feet off the ground, I hit the key and just a Hail Mary, see if it started. And it started, sputtered and started and I slammed the throttle all the way forwards. And we came within about 100, 150 feet of the ground. Wow. It was pretty hair raising. 
and we had to stall the airplane to get the doors to close because we're going so fast, you know, right over a lake, over some trees. It was hectic, but, you know, it was it was good. Wow. Went back fine the next day. So after going through that, I did. Does that make you a little more confident if you're ever in a sticky situation? You just got to stick to your training. You know what I'm saying? Make the best out of a bad situation and, you know, see if you can figure, if you got time, see if you can figure it out. Okay. So if you are in a forced landing situation, what are you looking for? What's open field? What's better? Well, a road with no power lines is great, but, you know, open field. Yeah. Then you can't open field, golf course, open field, something like that. No. Maybe not. Huh? Well, you know, you're, most of the small planes, you're landing at 60, 80 miles an hour. You're not that fast. You can just, you know, stall it into a pasture and keep doing the best you can. Got it. That's wild. <laughs> it's man. not a great idea, but it's yeah. the only one you got. So, you know, <laughs> make the best of it. So you can go fly these planes to these airports and then what? They just give you a car they have, to use? Okay, a lot work? of airports have a courtesy car. So if you call and say, hey, I'm coming down Tuesday, can you reserve the courtesy car for me? Like, sure, we'll give you four hours on it, five hours, whatever. A lot of times there are old police cars or whatever, and boom, away you go. No of course, with Uber now, you can just Uber yourself wherever you want to go. But do you have to pay for the... No, the courtesy car is free. It's a courtesy. So why Uber if you have a courtesy car? Well, then you don't have to. If there's no courtesy car, use Uber. But okay, if there's courtesy yeah, car, hey, take if someone reserved it. We, I mean, we used to go to Georgia all the time when I was flight training to get, they had fried squash. This little town in Georgia would fly because <laughs> we need to buy need hours. So I was just burning hours. So it's like, where do you want to go? Because you got to accumulate. That's part of your training. Yeah, you got to okay. accumulate hours. So I'm like, hey, let's go to this little town in Georgia because I know they have this little diner that has fried squash. Are so, you renting a plane? You own a plane? I'm renting a plane. Okay. Yep. And what I, I have no idea. What does that cost? Uh, it depends on a plane, anywhere between 125 an hour or yeah, about 100 an hour to 350 an hour. Depends on what yeah, you so want. You're, you're putting in some money if you're you are. You're putting in some money. Yeah, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. The best thing to do is find friends with planes and then do like a lease back situation with them. How does that work? It's like, so let's say you buy a plane. I say, Jared, I want to use your plane. You go, okay. Here's what it costs me to run the plane per hour. And here's what it costs me to add you to the insurance. And then if I fly it, those flight hours, I just pay you back. It's considerably less. Or say, hey, Jared, you want a plane? I want a plane. Let's split the cost of it. Okay. It divides your flight time, flight, uh, your cost in about half. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's a better way to go. Yeah. So in a situation where you're saying, hey, I'm, I am going to Key West and I'm going for lunch. Yeah. You're going to look at those different scenarios to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. I mean, I used to take clients down to Key West all the time for lunch. We, you know, I just write off as a business expense and be done with it. Ha. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I love that. Yeah. Okay. And you have a podcast about real estate. Yep. Right. And we were just talking before we hit record here, and your podcast seems to be doing really well. I guess I just, uh, I teach real estate investing. I don't sell anything. I don't edit. I don't do show notes. So I'm kind of like the unpodcaster podcasting. So I just hit the record button. And if I have an interview, boom, there's the interview. If I'm talking about something, I'm talking about something that I'm doing or I'm seeing, boom, that's it. Or somebody writing, go, hey, can you tell me about using my self directed IRA? to get tax-free income on rental properties. Sure. Here's how you set it up. Here's who I use. Here's the ins and outs of it. Here's the expert. Here's this or whatever. And that's it. It's, I keep it really simple. And now that podcast, which you're keeping simple, you've been consistent for one thing. Yeah. And then now it's generating leads where people are reaching out to you. And you said sometimes that's, that could be four a week. Yeah. I get people, I get emails all the time from all over the place and people are like, Hey, we want to do, you know, what about this? What about that? Hey, we'd like to do some investments with you. Hey, what about this? What about that? It didn't start out like that. There's no, I don't have any opt-in, no squeeze page. I've never sent an email newsletter. I've never done any of that stuff. I love it. <laughs> and I, I don't have time. So I'm just like, look, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm teaching what people are asking me. So why don't I go ahead and give this as many people as I can with the podcast format? 
And if people call, great. If they don't call, that's fine too. If they listen, awesome. If you don't listen, that's awesome too. There's no, I don't have an agenda to sell people something. Right. I'm just giving the information away. But in doing that, now it has created it has. types of opportunities. So at what it point has. did you start to see those starting to trickle in? Maybe 40 episodes in, 50, 40 episodes in. So, and you know, I just, I kind of did what the opposite of what everybody else was doing. So I was like, listen, this is what I want. And then people started man, like, man, I love your show. I like the format, whatever. And that's it. Prior to the 40 episodes, were you ever tempted to just quit? Like every week. No, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's tough. I mean, I'm sure you know, sometimes you just do not want to hit the record button or it. you just don't have something to talk about. Yep. You know? So, you know, some episodes probably stink and some of them are really good. And that's the way it is. <laughs> you know, is but, but it, if people are still listening and they're saying, okay, I want to reach out to you. I mean, that, that's a real good sign, I think. Yeah. And I give my email address. I give my phone number on the, on the podcast. Do you want to call me? Here's my phone number. I don't care. All right. So the show's called Star of the Doubts. If you'd be willing to share an instance where you had to start the doubts. Well, or you know, another instance. Well, you, you know, I quit a Fortune 500 job. My dad's like, have you lost your mind? I said, we're going to pack up and go overseas. He's like, you don't even speak the language. I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll be, we'll be all right. You know, and boom, we never had any problems. Never, we never lacked for anything. We're great. You know, we came back. I was working for this engineering company. I said, you know, I went to the boss and said, hey, you're farming out all this work to this company. If I get the equipment, can I take this work and do it myself? He goes, sure, but you're going to fail because I tried it and I failed. I said, well, that might be the case, but can I do it? He goes, yeah, I'll, we'll give you the work. Just make sure you keep up with your responsibilities right here. Three months later, we're clearing 80 grand a month. So, you know what I'm saying? If you li- There's always going to be people saying you can't do it for whatever reason. You're not smart enough, strong enough, fast enough, rich enough, whatever. You know, if you're confident and you think it works and it works, go for it. You got to take some risks sometime. No, that's good. Where, where can people find out more about what you're up to? Well, the easiest thing to do is email me. The website is the, the RE Loop. My email is gavin at com. Um, and that's kind of the best way to, I don't keep up with the website like I should, but, uh, you know, <laughs> the iTunes, you got other stuff if you go to the real estate loop on iTunes, <laughs> you'll, you every week you'll hear exactly what I'm doing. I love it. So, yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? I think that's it. I think we've covered it. Gavin, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Jared. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, I had some people that, you know, we knew some friends are down there. I'm like, listen, just because somebody doesn't speak English, don't think they're not smart. Or just because they have a third grade education, don't think they're not smart. There's always a way you just got to find out how to get there. And a little initiative goes a long way.